Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning, and, and what I want to do this morning is I want to share what I believe is the Father's heart for this church. The Father's heart for this church has a specific direction, and this direction is called vision. Vision is where we are going as a church. Secondly, God has values for us to embrace as a church. Values are the way that we behave while achieving a particular vision. And today I wanna to talk about the vision and values of Northside Church. So for some of you, this is going to feel a bit like a family meeting and you're gonna be like, oh, I heard this before, like, uh, come on, again? And for others, this might sound a little bit like an infomercial. You're like, whoa, easy there, like, this is a lot of information. But what I hope and my heart is this morning is that you would hear the Father's heart for us as a church. I don't know if you know this, but each church has a specific calling. Just like each person has a specific calling. And with that calling, God calls each church to a specific vision. Northside Church isn't any more special than the church down the street. But it is specific. Because we have a specific calling in this community that also reaches around the world. So I want to share that with you this morning. Are you ready? And then you get to eat cheeseburgers. I mean, come on. So that's awesome too. Or hot dogs or veggie burgers or some lettuce or something if you're not into those previous things. And what I want, to, I want you to do is, is this morning is going to be a test in self-control. Because that about, in about 15 minutes, you're going to start to get the scents from the barbecue that are going to come through the door. And you're going to want to get up and go to that barbecue. Oh, I smell it already. You know, as soon as I said that, I smelled it. Did you? So this is practicing self-control. And if we would lock those doors in the back, that would be great. I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm so excited for this morning. And I, I just want to open in a word of prayer um, this morning and give this to Jesus. Father, we, we thank you that this morning we can celebrate, Lord. We celebrate transition in leadership, Lord. We celebrate the fact that we can come into the house of the Lord. We celebrate the fact that you are here, Jesus, that your presence is here. And because of that, it makes all the difference. That this morning, even on a random Sunday in September, lives can be completely transformed because you are a miracle-working God. We give you this time in your word, Lord. We ask that it would be glorifying to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So our vision statement, by the way, if you remember at the end of this message, if you remember the three words from our vision statement, and you remember the three statements from our values, you'll get a free cheeseburger, okay? <laughs> and if you don't remember the three words in our vision statement or the three values that we have, guess what? You will also get a free cheeseburger, yes because we are generous, even to those that sleep during our sermons. Our vision this morning, and always, and has been for years, but I believe the Lord is calling us back to reemphasize, is to be a loving community that reaches, restores, 
and releases every person to expand God's kingdom. Our vision is not to expand our own kingdom. Our vision isn't to expand just Northside Church. Our vision is to be a loving community that expands God's kingdom in three ways, which is to reach, restore, and release. Some of you aren't writing that down for that burger. Reach, restore, and release. First, we'll start with to reach. Our vision is to reach the unreached in our community and around the world. You see, all other steps after that fall apart if we don't reach those who need to be reached. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 to 14, Jesus tells this story about a a shepherd with some sheep. And he says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. The Lord showed me a couple years ago that the reason the shepherd is more worried about the one than the 99 is because the 99 have each other. The 99 are like the gathered church. The 99 protect each other, they've got each other, they're encouraging each other, they're encouraging each other, they're standing together, they feel protected, they feel covered. And so what Jesus is saying is he's like, the shepherd, he's going to leave those 99 because they have each other. And what the shepherd is going to do is the shepherd is going to go and find the one that is alone. The one that fell in a ditch. The one that is stuck in some blackberry bushes. The one that doesn't know where the 99 went. The one that might be out of the cry of the shepherd. And for me, the one, the sheep that is out there are the unreached. They're the unreached in our community, not just around the world. There's unreached in our community, people that have never heard the story of Jesus. I remember hearing a pastor about six months ago, and, and, and he's an evangelist. I mean, like a fiery evangelist. You know the type of evangelist when you're sitting in the front row and like your hair goes back? He was that type of evangelist. But something he said is something simple that he does every day is every day he, he, he sees somebody at, at the coffee shop or at the restaurant, and all he says is, did somebody tell you today that God loves you? Can you imagine if we did that? It's so simple. Can you imagine if we did that? Just told the community, you are loved by God. And he he says time and time and time again, people respond, no. People have responded, nobody's ever told me that God loves me. Listen, as we are in a post-Christian world, whatever that means, it's not post-Jesus. It's not post-love. We can just tell people that we love them. 
Okay, I'm not going to get through the other five points if I don't go quickly here. So, But we as a church are called to reach the unreached. Do you know that your sphere of influence is not my sphere of influence? Your sphere of influence, the place that you are involved in, the friends that you have, the work that you go to, the family that you're in, that's your sphere of influence. That is not my sphere of influence. Therefore, the group that surrounds you is unreached from me. So you are called to reach the unreached in your life, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your work. Over the next few years, we want to send more people onto the mission field, both short-term and long-term. A few years ago, we prayed for and we blessed Greg and Esther Nelson to go to France And they worked within YWAM for a year and a half, and and now they're back, praise Jesus. But we we sent them with our blessing. A couple weeks ago, we, we sent Titus and Rachel to the unreached in Scotland. Next week, you'll get to hear from one of our very own missionaries, Johannes and Kara. And and Johannes specifically is going to share about how him and Kara have been called to Africa to reach the unreached. They're involved in leadership development, saving souls. This is our calling. Secondly, we are called to restore. Reach, restore. We want to see every person healed and restored. Now what this means is that Jesus commands his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. And this commandment to the disciples is a commandment to us. He sends the disciples out and he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And you're like, but Joel, that's impossible. Like, heal the sick? Raise the dead? Cleanse the the leper? Cast out demons? That's impossible. Yeah, that's what we're going after. If we go after things that are possible, we will take the glory. We are called to go after impossible things Because we serve a God who is a God over the impossible. Our God does not work within confines of what is possible. So within restoration, one thing that we're starting in October, on October 5th, and I've felt really, really passionate about this for our church, is we're starting Alpha Marriage. It's called the Marriage Course. It's on October 5th for eight weeks. We're going to gather because God wants to restore our marriages. Whether you're in a healthy marriage, whether you're young married, whether you've seasoned in marriage, it doesn't matter. Whether you're on the edge of separation or whether you're happily married, we wanna come together and strengthen the core foundation of our families, which is marriage. That's restoration. Another part of restoration is that we believe at Northside in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit in 
Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians chapter 4, and wherever else the gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed or explained, here at Northside Church, we believe in the active and ongoing gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. And if Jesus doesn't change, his body shouldn't change, the church shouldn't change. If people attend church here for five years and are not restored, there's a problem with the process. My heart isn't just that we would be churched people. My heart isn't that we would just show up to a particular location and sit for a long period of time. My heart is that we would be transformed people. We would be restored people. We would be healed people. And so our messages will be along these lines. As you could hear from Rose, who did the transition this morning, I mean, when Pastor Rose starts praying, it's like, you just feel the presence of God. Anything is possible. Thirdly, as part of our vision, is to release. We want to see every person equipped and released in ministry. Again, we aren't trying to church people. We're trying to equip people. Churched people consume. Equipped people work. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If we could go back to verse 12 there on the board for a minute. So we believe in what's called the five-fold ministry, which is the belief in the ongoing work of the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. All of those are lowercase. In other words, not, there are no more capital A apostles. Anyway. We believe in lowercase apostles, prophets, pastor, evangelist, teachers. But the reason that God has called these five to exist in the church isn't so that everybody will follow those five people and come and learn from those five people and come and hear those people speak and consume what those people share or teach. No, Paul goes on to say in verse 12, he says, these five Jesus has called for a purpose and the purpose is this, to equip his people for works of service. How many of you here are one of God's people? Perfect. You qualify. Isn't that awesome? 
So the role of the apostle is to raise up apostolic people. The purpose of the prophet is to raise up a prophetic people. The purpose of the evangelist is to raise up evangelistic people. Pastors, pastoral people, teachers, teachers. The point of the fivefold ministry is to equip the church in works of service. So we want to be a church that sees every person equipped and released in ministry. After the service, you'll have an opportunity to talk to some of our ministry leaders, some of our staff members, about where you can be involved. Amen. Aren't you excited for that? Yeah. God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. Now, this is the vision for our church, but we also have values as a church. And our values are our culture or our behavior. And we have three values as a church. Our three values as a church is that we would be presence-focused, faith-filled, and servant-hearted. Presence-focused means that we want to focus on God's presence and each other's presence. This means that we want to make space in our gatherings to sense God, follow God, but also connect with each other and know each other. Our time of greeting isn't just a time to say hi, it's a time to connect. After the service, we'll have an opportunity at our barbecue to connect, to have fellowship, to be focused on each other's presence. We want to be a church that is vulnerable, transparent, and really knows each other. That's what it means to be presence-focused. We also want to be sensitive that if God is doing something in a service, we want to follow him. It might be that we pause in our worship for a moment of stillness, quiet. We might pause in our services for a time of asking God for forgiveness, a time of repentance. We might grieve together, mourn together, lament together. We want to be presence-focused, though. God, what are you doing? What are you saying in this moment for these people? What are you saying for my neighbor to my left and to my right? I want to be focused, God, on your presence vertically, and I want to be focused on the presence of those around me. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, you are holy, speaking of God. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, when we worship, and I would encourage you to try to come to service on time, and the reason for that is because during worship, there's something that happens in our worship. What happens in our worship is that as we worship, we actually build a throne. We build a throne for God to come and sit in the spiritual realm. And when God is sitting with us in worship in the spiritual realm, anything can happen. If we're just kind of coming and going haphazardly or 
And I realize we all have bad mornings and, you know, getting to church, I get it. We have five kids, so we get it. This isn't condemnation. This is just, this is just so that we understand what happens in worship because worship is the most important thing we do on a Sunday morning. The reason worship is the most important thing we do on a Sunday morning is because we're the most unified, the most engaged. And it's the very thing that the enemy would want to disrupt, divide. When we worship, we are building a throne for God to sit and to dwell. And when God sits and dwells in worship, anything can happen. We're sensitive to his leading. We follow his leading. We adjust our posture when he is here. If he tells us to go in a particular direction, we as a leadership team are sensing and listening. And maybe you might be in a service or during worship and and the Lord shows you something. If the Lord shows you something, we wanna hear what is God saying to you and you can come and find one of the pastors and say, I feel like God has put this on my heart. Can I share this with the congregation? We wanna be the kind of church that makes space for that if it fits with what God is saying to us, right? God desires more spontaneity in our worship. Spontaneous. Now, spontaneous doesn't mean chaotic or frenetic. Spontaneous means following the Spirit. As a church, we want to follow the Holy Spirit. We also want to make space in our gatherings to be present with each other. And I think this is really important. I remember years ago, I was talking to Pastor Wes, and he said something I'll never forget. We were talking about Bible study, and I don't know if, I don't know if you'll remember this, but we were talking about Bible studies. And specifically, I don't know why we were talking about a Bible study on Moses. And, and Pastor Wes said, Joel, listen, in your Bible studies, you could teach on Moses for eight weeks, and everybody can know everything they, they know about Moses, And you can teach them all the knowledge that you know about Moses, but also make sure that they know the person that's sitting next to them in that class. Don't just teach knowledge, but realize and recognize that God has placed us in community with each other. So every time I teach a class, I make sure that we all know each other's names because it almost becomes a life group. They become a community within that class if you make space for people to get to know each other. Vancouver is one of the loneliest cities in the world. You know, moving from New York, New York is lonely too, but New York is like forced community because it's 10 million people. And I grew up in an Italian family where you can't be alone in an Italian family. Anyone that's in like a Spanish family maybe can relate to that. Any amens to that? Yeah, you can relate to that. It's like you can't be alone in an Italian family. But you know, moving to Canada, it's different. It's independent. It's people are spaced out. People are all over. We need to make efforts to come together. I hope that you would come to the church and people would know your name and know what's going on in your life and and be praying for you. And it's almost like a church that We don't want you to hide, you know? 
We don't want you to hide in the corner or just be unknown or just kind of come and go. There's seasons for that, but we want to be a church that knows each other, cares about each other, loves each other. That's what it means to be presence-focused. This isn't a classroom, it's a living room. Secondly, we want to be in our values faith-filled. We believe that God continues to speak, continues to heal, continues to restore as he did in the early church. In other words, God's word is still God's will. In other words, if it happened in here, it can happen to me. God doesn't change. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Spiritual gifts are received by faith and released by faith. But what I love about what Paul is saying about the spiritual gifts is, is it's not spiritual gifts just to display power. It isn't spiritual gifts just to say that we have more faith than someone else. Paul says that the spiritual gifts are actually the way of love. Paul says follow the way of love and pursue earnestly spiritual gifts. I love this because the chapter, chapter 14, follows chapter 13, and in the original manuscripts, they weren't separated by chapters and verses, and so this was all one. In other words, the chapter on love in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, keeps no record of wrongs, like love endures all things, bears all things, believes all things. And right on the heels of that statement, the most comprehensive description of what love is, right on the heels of that, Paul says, and pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. In other words, for Paul, spiritual gifts is the overflow of love. Spiritual gifts are not just the, a sign of power. It's an overflow of love. And the word that Paul uses for eagerly desire is, is a word that means to covet. It's, it means to run after, like with everything that you want. It's like it's used throughout the Bible as a negative. It, it's even in the Ten Commandments, do not covet. So what Paul is saying is, is he's not saying sin, but what he's saying is he's trying to paint a picture that is showing us the kind of tenacity and the kind of energy that we should put toward following spiritual gifts. Why? Because Paul knows that if we show that tenacity for spiritual gifts, this is the way of love. For an example, if, if someone is coming to me for prayer and I'm listening to the Father for their life, and God says, you know, gives me a few words. And he says, share with them how much I love them. Now, as I'm listening to God and this person is standing in front of me and I say something simple like, 
You know, God loves you. Now, that, that can be a knowledge statement. Yeah, God loves everybody. But in that moment, as I'm listening to God, I become a conduit. I become used by him. So when I say God loves you, they feel the anointing of God, Father God, speaking love over their life. To me, all spiritual gifts reveal the love of the Father. God has been telling me a lot about going back to the beginning and remembering the things that I have been called to individually. And for 21 years, God has been saying the same thing over my life for people. God has been saying to me in my leadership, in my serving, for people, Joel, equip them in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That will never change. I want our church to express the heart of the Father through the gifts of the Spirit. There's something else beautiful about the gifts of the Spirit. They're impossible. It's like you sit down with your team and you're like, okay, what's, what, what are our goals this year? Okay, we're gonna see 25 people healed. Okay, that's impossible. Yeah, we're gonna see 30 people saved. Okay, that's like impossible. Like you start to make goals as a church that are all impossible because you're relying on God for everything. Once you break the reliance on God for everything, you become a classroom. We can teach historical truth from the Bible every week, all year, for the rest of your life, and it is wonderful, and it is beautiful, and knowledge is amazing, but we are a church, and I mean this globally, but specifically in North America, we are knowledge-saturated and experience-deficient. I know. We are. We don't need any more knowledge. We need to express it, experience it, live it out. We are faith-filled, presence-focused. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3 a very famous passage on faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I read passages like this and I, I realize I have faith that God spoke the earth into creation out of nothing. Do I have faith that he'll heal my neighbor next to me? I have faith that God has spoken the earth into creation. Do I believe in faith that he's gonna take care of my finances? 
that he's going to take care of my unsaved husband, my unsaved wife, my son or daughter that wandered away. I want us to be faith-filled. God showed me something when I was reading this verse that I hadn't thought about before, but if faith is the confidence and assurance of what I hope for, then if I can hope it, God can do it. If I can hope it, God can do it. Now, sometimes I hope for something that doesn't happen that has nothing to do with God's ability. If I can actually hope something, hope in something, hope for something, God can do it. Let me give you an example. God says to me, I'm going to protect your children. And I put my hope in that. I, I know that I know that I know God is going to protect my children. I have faith in that. I put my hope in that. Can God do that? Yes. Okay, I hope for a red Ferrari. I hope for it. I hope for a red Ferrari. I want a red Ferrari. I pray for a red Ferrari. Can God do it? Yeah. Does he want me to have it? No. <laughs> but the point is this. I want you to just, I, I don't know what's on this, but there's something the Lord was showing me about this, this connection of hope and faith. If I am able to hope in something, God can do it. We leave it to him what he will do. But we have faith in what we can hope for. You cannot hope for something that God can't do. No, literally, I cannot be given the ability to hope in something that God cannot do. It doesn't always happen the way I hope or I want, but this has nothing to do with God's ability. I will close with this. Our third value is to be servant-hearted. Our leaders are servant-hearted. At least we try to be. You know, in the last year and a half, we've had some shifts in people on staff and our team just kind of shifts and we start doing like janitorial, we start doing set up and takedown, we start doing all of these things like, I don't know, I've fixed a bunch of stuff with tools in the, in the church because we just don't have a facilities manager. Um, by the way, little plug for a new position that we're creating and um, the payment is free coffee, um, but we're looking for, you know, a guy or a gal who likes working with tools uh, for a few hours a week to come in and help out at the church. If that's you, if you're like, that's me, I would love to talk to you after the service. But just somebody to you know, walk around with a little hit list that we create and fix things. Because um, right now that's me, <laughs> which I love doing actually. I do it at home all the time. Um, but we are looking for somebody to serve in that way. Um, but we want our team to be servant-hearted that means that each one of them takes ownership, not entitlement. 
And we want to be a church that is servant-hearted as well. Jesus says in John 13, he's washing the disciples' feet. And he says to them, now that I, your Lord and teacher, think about this, the Savior of the world, I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus, the savior of the world, the rabbi of all rabbis, gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. And Jesus says, you have to do what I've done. And Jesus then says, you'll be blessed if you do. Now, I'm not saying God won't bless you if you don't serve, but I'm saying Jesus, this is, sorry, Joel's not speaking. Jesus is speaking. And Jesus said, I have set you an example. So some of us want to fast track our discipleship. I have it. It's one step. One step to becoming more of a holy, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. One step. Everybody want it? Right? One step. Tell me, Pastor, what is it? What is it? I can hear you. I'm going to tell you. Serve. And you'll be blessed when you do. What the enemy wants to do is he wants you to think you have nothing to give. He'll whisper to you one of two lies. One is that serving is beneath you. That's pride. The other is serving is above you. That's insecurity. But Jesus says, listen, this is how you are to live your life. It is to wash one another's feet. And serving in the church is to wash one another's feet. It might be washing each other's kids' feet. It might be washing each other's coffee cups. It might be greeting with a smile. Might be serving in tech ministry or youth ministry or kids ministry. But it's washing each other's feet. And so I'll close with this. We want to be a church that is servant hearted and that we all serve. I'll invite the worship team to come up as I pray for us. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be Lovingly convicted, Lord, but we would be prompted, Lord, by your spirit that, Father, I know that you have untapped potential throughout this church, throughout this community, people that have gifts and talents and anointing and calling and purpose and vision on their life for your kingdom, God. 
And I pray even now, Lord, as we worship and as we have fellowship together and enjoy a barbecue together, Lord, I, I pray that in our conversations and in our interaction, Lord, you would just prompt us to want to take ownership over our church. This is not the leadership team's church. This is not a church that has just existed for 44 years. This is your church, Jesus. And we all serve you, the King of Kings. And so I pray even now, Lord, that you would prompt us, Lord. Show us, Lord. Lead us. And Father, I also pray for for those in this season that just need to take a break. They would feel the freedom to do so, Lord. Those that are, you know, have a, have a young child or going through something difficult or need to be refreshed or are, are just so up to their eyeballs and just everything else in life, Lord, I, I pray those that need to take a break would feel free to take a break, Lord. That's not what we're saying. We don't want people to burn out, Lord. But what I'm saying is, is Lord, that you would prompt those that have capacity and ability to get connected, to serve, to be a part of what we're doing here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.